0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today, we have a very special guest that restart the community track that we have here. And we're going to have uh, probably three or four, actually five, new guests um, on the community track that speak about a little bit the community, how the history of hacking is going. And then we go with Ray W. And I can't say more because he's redacted. <laughs> on a trip to back in the days how hacking started and then we shift all of a sudden in in the current world and we keep on joking and referring to names that have been in the podcast, will be in the podcast. And it really shows the community effort and that cybersecurity is all a community. And that's the whole reason why the whole podcast started. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It's really friendly, it's really insane, intense, so, I really, I really enjoyed it, so I hope you enjoyed this as well. This is Francesco, enjoy!
1: Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoy today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com.
0: And we are live, so hello everyone and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Despite the fact of technical difficulty, we are finally here with Ray, a technologist, a friend, a fellow podcaster. This is your host, Francesco, but let me leave the stage to Ray. Ray, can you tell a little bit about audience, what you're doing? But you've sure. been
2: up to. Well, welcome. Now, Francesco, you're not supposed to tell people we had technical difficulties. We're supposed to just pretend like. everything the of the
0: recording. as smooth as butter.
2: Uh, why, why the recording software takes up five and a half CPUs is a, is a different issue for a different day. <laughs> uh, my name is Ray Redacted. I am a InfoSec researcher and I'm a technologist at a global firm that does connectivity and cybersecurity services uh, as well. And so, and I'm, I, I'm available on Twitter as rayredacted.com. And I have the Tribe of Hackers podcast, which we just launched just a few weeks ago. And it's just now kind of hitting its stride as part of... Uh, tribe of hackers
0: fantastic. Thank you very much for coming. We've been trying to do this for a little while, despite <laughs> the technical difficulties for now it's 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 an enormous pleasure to to have you here and actually on on the podcast what um, what is your thought process? How did you gather the the, the tribe of hackers? Do you base it on on the book or do you completely go on On new people, how do you select your your guests, for example?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting because, Francesco, just like a lot of people, when COVID-19 kind of gave us the stay-at-home orders, Mm -hmm. uh, my last business trip was 3 March. was March 3rd, for those of you in the United States. So at that point in time, uh, when they first said, we need everybody to stay at home, and we're going to do kind of this quarantine, and uh, some of our security operations centers were all going virtual uh, globally, uh, at that time, I thought, well, Ray, you're just going to have so much free time on your hands because you're <laughs> now homeschooling your children and you're now also, so why don't you do this, Ray? Why don't you launch a podcast, uh, a nonprofit charity, uh, volunteer for some online conferences, uh, help out masks for docs, putting PPE in the hands of people, uh, and because surely you're going to have so much time. It surely won't take that much time.
0: And And, your clone machine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, no one warned me that podcasting takes 10 to 15 hours a week for a single episode, right? Yeah. Uh, Oh, I forgot to tell you. I also said hey, teach yourself Adobe edition. I mean, you've got Creative Cloud, the license. So why not just go ahead and download this super duper complicated program? Because how hard could it be? I mean, it's just like Photoshop or GarageBand. You can teach yourself that in a few hours. So I started, uh, oh, actually I approached Marcus J. Carey. Marcus J. Carey and Jennifer Jen are the authors of the Tribe of Hackers books. They have mm-hmm. a, 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 an orange book, a, a blue book, and a red book. Uh, and a green book the green book is security leaders and i'm actually in security leaders we don't ever talk about the fact that i was in that book but at any rate so i go to marcus i said hey man uh listen uh i want to launch a podcast i want to teach myself adobe edition and i want to feature uh people in the tribe of hackers books because i've got so much free time on my hands and also also listen to this dude What we're going to do is we're going to do reverse sponsorships. So each week, instead of somebody paying us, we're going to highlight a nonprofit charity or a conference or a cause of any kind, right? I mean, because gosh, how long could that possibly take to research and vet out a bunch of nonprofits each week? And contact them. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, and Marcus said, Amazing. That sounds awesome, Ray. That's fantastic. I love that idea. Here, you know what? Um, you just, you can have the name, you can have the, the artwork, you can have my website, you can have it all. Just take, just take it and run with it. And I said, okay, cool. So I'm assuming we're going to like sign an agreement or something or like, you know, oh no, just go, go. Let me know how it goes. He it didn't,
0: it didn't <laughs> ask you, you and which
2: army? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, actually what's funny is I said, hey man, it'd be really good if you came on to the episode, episode 10, like episode 10. So you could come on and tell us whether it sucks or not. Pardon my language. I just realized we've got an international audience that might be offended by that. That's but instead, a, we had him on episode zero, okay? But this was my first lesson in podcasting. Apparently, you're not allowed to have an episode zero, despite the fact that everything in computers allows you to have something from zero to 255, yes. right? Uh, that's a classic uh, way that we express binary. Episode zero apparently breaks Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and can get you banned from Android Podcasts. So- yes. We had to rename his episode one, uh, season one, episode one, which is extremely optimistic to say season one, by the way. That's just uh, <laughs> really, really thinking a way forward. I just started that. on season two. <laughs> and so we, but we, we launched uh, just a couple months ago, and it has been people featured in mostly in the security leaders books. And mm-hmm. uh, by the way, I know you have some listeners that have never even heard of Tribe of Hackers, but what yeah, Tribe of Hackers is, is there was this guy by the name of Tim Ferriss who pioneered this concept called tribe of mentors or, mm-hmm. or tribe of uh, advisors or tribe. It was something, I'm going to get in big trouble for not knowing the name of that. But at any rate, he puts something. out this book of all these massive like thought leaders and, and influencers and celebrities and everything mm-hmm. else and asks some cool questions, right? And that's what the tribe of hackers books are too, is each book has a bunch of people in InfoSec answering the same questions. So question over question over question. When you see the book, sometimes you'll see people skip questions. That's because our answer sucked and we just went ahead and left it out (laughs) because you were allowed to opt out. Jennifer Jen said, Hey, if you really don't like your answer, just whatever, just don't answer it or just say this answer sucks." But in general, it was all the same questions and the books are awesome. Okay. And I'm not just saying that because I am the uncompensated host of the podcast <laughs> it 's also because the books are really, really interesting because there 's this huge variety of of um, of opinions variants of opinions. but when you 're on Twitter, especially when you 're on Infosec Twitter, it always seems like people are fighting like it always seems like they 're arguing whether you need a college degree or they 're bickering about whether certifications are worthless. Or they're, 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 they're you know, throwing people under the bus because this person doesn't have the credentials or they're questioning uh, gender minorities who kind of appear on the scene and saying, you don't belong here and all this other crap. But in the books, it's absolutely not like that at all. You have this incredible range of people's opinions, but they all kind of have that same underlying concept, which is helping people out, okay? helping the industry out and being more inclusive to, to newbies, to people that are new. And for me, this was incredibly refreshing because in the hacker community, up until like probably DEFCON 21 or maybe even 23, I remember when a new person came on the scene, they were basically treated horribly like they were hazed, you know, people would tell them DEFCON was canceled as a kind of a cruel joke. Uh, they were constantly questioned. They were sent phishing links. I mean, it was not very open and inclusive, especially to people that weren't, you know, the the, the stereotypical
1: uh,
2: chubby white male, which I represent that particular demographic, right? So it is actually awesome to see so many people really giving back to the community. Uh, Marcus actually donates all the proceeds of the books to charities, uh, and then again, we we also try to raise awareness or money every single week for different kind of nerdy nerdy type charities like the diana initiative or masks for docs or i think folding at home was one of them one week but again that's that that's basically the podcast and i can't give you that huge advertisement without also telling people that they can subscribe by going to tohpodcast.com that's t like tribe of hackers podcast.com that's a nice thing
0: that's a nice yeah, Yes, so we name. got the huge ad out of the way now, so <laughs> I feel like, like the I mean, cybersecurity and cloud podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. That's a, I, that is good. And now this podcast actually is, uh, this is in season two, like we're late in the second season, right? Yeah, you no, we a- are
0: in season two. So season one actually was, we started with Tanya with a hashtag, Tanya Janker, for who doesn't mm-hmm. know. We started exactly on the same mentorship and giving away, so information, so we had too many mentees uh, i had too many mentees tanya had a lot of people asking questions so we get together and say how do we solve this problem well to way. Mm-hmm. asking for sec we started a hashtag asking for sec so that anybody can ask a, a, any question and we monitor those hashtags and we try to reply we we repost it and then mentoring monday but then what happened with the mentoring monday the hashtag uh, a bunch of commercial organization took it over and start spamming those things so we had probably the most cyber discussion ever where we we debated what should be the name. And we discussed probably three hours about knowledge really? in a ridiculous amount of time. And we ended up with Cyber Mentoring Monday. Which, by the way, Cyber Mentoring Monday is actually... A lot more clear
2: right so it's easy to find and it's less ambiguous but people still are using that old hashtag
0: occasionally you'll still we see- use both <laughs> we use both okay. and we we advertise that we're gonna stop using it but we're never gonna stop using it but people are using the cyber mentoring monday much more and that's why i renamed all my previous podcast episode as cyber mentoring monday okay i got you okay and yeah, then so t- i figure so t- out you know we change the name again <laughs> <laughs> so Tanya Tanya
2: is fantastic. I mean, she's absolutely awesome. And I love that mentoring Monday uh, kind of thing because actually now that time has no meaning anymore, right? You always know when the week starts because you have Cyber Mentoring Monday and you always know when the week ends because you have Follow Fridays. And you're you're getting like all of the FFs that are across the board, It's fantastic
0: now because after, I don't know, a year that we're doing this, uh, we start seeing a peak of people. So, us, I, I, I was very, very diligent every Monday. Tanya was very, very diligent every Monday. Mentoring Monday. She is still very, very di- diligent. thing, to buffer. I, I kind of fallen off the track by doing the podcast. So, I, I don't do the uh, cyber mentoring Monday as often as she does. But I start seeing a lot of people just offering and with the correct hashtag, and that was the whole point of it. So, I'm, I'm so proud with that that effort and. I'm so happy that it's is working for the community because that was the point.
2: So I will tell you the fun, my funny Tanya story is I interviewed her for the tribe of hackers podcast. Mm-hmm. And when I got off the phone with this interview, I went to her website and I subscribed to the, she acts purple.dev like the, for the year I bought the, the subscription for the whole year and Ever that since then, I've been getting these emails and I get all excited because I think it's Tanya writing to me, but it's actually just emails <laughs> about part of the membership. So I probably need to set up a separate mailbox or something because I'm always like, oh, 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 I see, okay, okay. I No, she is amazing, and she actually
0: was in the previous podcast. And probably by the time this one gets released, we can say that she started that we had purple, other than she had purple. So she started. Yeah, I didn't community. know what name to say there. You, you'll notice if you if you watch that part <laughs> real carefully. This, I kind this, of shied away from that. Uh, I'm not. This, I'm not sure will, about the timing. This will go. Uh, we'll go live probably after the other podcast. So it's it, it should be fine to be released. With but it's news.
2: WeHackPurple.com, right? Is yes. that right? Yeah. Okay, okay. We got to make sure we say that because Tanya's going to count how many times we say WeHackPurple.com, <laughs> WeHackPurple.com, WeHackPurple.com. So, and all right. so anyways, yeah. so talking, about t- talking about time coming out. Um, so Mondays when you, you, you see the Cyber Mentoring Mondays, what, what day of the week is this podcast come out? Because I listened to a lot of the
0: episodes, Monday. but I
2: didn't it's oh, also Monday. This goes, okay. goes hand in
0: hand with the Mentoring Monday. So this goes with the hashtag Mentoring Monday because we used to have a call Uh, on the monday uh, at Mm -hmm. one but then we didn't cover enough time zone so this used to be a live podcast and then uh, reposted on youtube with some editing and and stuff like that so you're going to spend your
2: days on sunday you're going to spend your saturdays and sundays editing then
0: you get to have the pleasure of of editing uh (laughs) on sundays well actually it's not it's not too bad right now because i don't have audio video and uh you know people asking can you cut this this and this sentence and can you regulate this as you well know (laughs) sure
2: sure Oh, I, I appreciate that, though, so, um, but, yeah, at any anyway, rate, so, yeah, so, that's that's kind of, we're living in this post-COVID world. The irony is- it post-COVID? Is, or oh, post-pandemic? Post-pandemic? Yeah. yeah. we're still in the smack in the middle, but I think people are listening to less podcasts. I think people listen to more podcasts when they're on the train and in the car, right, so, right. I, I listen to podcasts every single night when I go to sleep, right, because it gives you these crazy dreams if you do. But but I don't. I used to always listen to them in the car, like driving to the airport mm-hmm. or on the plane or whatever else. So there is less time in the day because we just have so, much, so many other channels of media and stuff like that coming in. Is that, is that what
0: you're finding too? I don't mean to ask a personal question. No, no. I, I, I personally uh, listen to less podcasts. So I, I, I used to run with music. Right now, run with the podcast because it's the only time where I can actually listen to it. Oh, that's good. Because my day is completely flat out with stuff. I tend to stay away from tech in the evening because uh it's just so much from morning to the evening with tech. I'll try to, you know, decompress a little bit so no no tech in the evening. So that running is the only time where I can actually listen to a proper podcast. So I've been binge listening, for example, to the Darknet Diary and I got super for sure. hyped. That's for amazing. Sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So Darknet Diaries is is, is absolutely one hundred percent uh one of the best ones out there. And it is on your bucket list and my bucket list to finally appear on the Darknet Diaries because that's when you know (laughs) that you're officially like legit, right? Now, the the problem is, is he won't let you just come on the Darknet Diaries and just rap about your own podcast, okay? That's
0: just something that you and I have here, (laughs) but uh, he he wants an actual story. (laughs) And I love this story. And I love this story, uh, storytelling. And actually on that subject, how let's talk about the story, how Ray became Ray Redacted and how that was born.
2: Yeah, so for sure. So I was involved in hacking and freaking and computer program cracking from a very, very young age, okay? So probably started when I was seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. I cracked my first game, which was Load Runner for the Apple II Plus and IIe, because it had to be the 6502 Enhanced, when I was nine, okay, so I was nine years old, and joined bulletin boards. So So back then... <laughs> you used to dial up bulletin boards and the numbers would be busy. Okay. They were always busy because yeah. they were literally people's houses that had one phone line. And in many cases it was a kid who was using his parents' phone line and he would say, don't call until 9 PM. Okay. So at 8:59, you would start calling and calling and calling because once somebody was on there, it, at least when they first yeah. started, it was single lines. So if you really wanted to broaden your horizons you had two things you could do. You could either start dialing long distance bulletin boards, and we're not going to talk about the payment terms for dialing long distance, but I will tell you that it was a lot more expensive than nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds typically had for their allowance. <laughs> or you could war dial, okay? And, Francisco, I got to tell you, when I think back about the war dialing I did in elementary and middle school, most people, at least new people, don't quite understand what actually happened. So what would happen when you war dialed, is you would have an NPA NXX, okay? That's an area code and the first three digits of a phone mm-hmm. number. Let's say it was two one two four four two. Okay, you would literally dial every single number that started with two one two four four two zero 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 one. And you wouldn't do it manually,
0: but with a very fairy-
2: you, you, the the modem would wake up. OK, a thousand, 10,000 people, 10,000 people like all, all the time. Now, it didn't do it sequentially because eventually people started paying attention to anyone who was dialing numbers sequentially. So it had like a pseudo random number generator. But you would literally, So you would get up after being asleep or maybe at school or whatever. And you would have like six or seven carrier tones, okay? And this is before fax machines really messed up a lot of this, but yeah. But at the time, and so, and you would say, oh, there's a 110 baud number there. That might be a, a Unix machine. Oh, there's a 300 baud. Oh my goodness, I found a 1200 baud, and it might be a bulletin board, it might be a bank, <laughs> it might be an unsecured military base. Whatever it was, that's what you were hunting for. So the name war dialing comes from war games and the movie War Games. Yeah. Uh, David Lightman literally war dials to find Whopper. Okay, he finds Whopper and thinks it's a game machine. And that's what we would do. We would we would war dial uh, primarily local numbers because there was a lot of hoops to hop through for long distance numbers for reasons I don't necessarily need to get into here. But that was something that you didn't generally automate. At least I didn't ever generally automate tens of thousands of phone calls. So at any rate, what happened? And you, was, and you get and
0: you get in middle water with with double international regulation and people and, and police are not always friendly. Yeah, so so, but the the thing that was also interesting about that was, so you would dial bulletin boards. Okay, these
2: are (laughs) legit bulletin boards, and the real fancy ones would have multiple lines, and they would have discussion areas. They would have, you know, movie discussions. They would have flame wars. There was a lot of technical stuff, a lot of ham radio stuff. But most of these bulletin boards had a hidden area, which is where they kept the T files, the Cult of the Dead Cow, and you know, the Legion of Doom, and how to crack software, and how to build. Uh, uh, never mind the other things the the old
0: hidden hidden, uh, channel where you needed needed
2: to know and if you had one of these text files one of these text files you know written by Death Veggie of the CDC or something you could download it now when I say download it If your mom picked up the phone in the middle of that download it was toast okay it was toast it didn't matter how big the file was it didn't matter any of that kind of stuff because there was no resume back then this is way before x modem y
0: modem and z modem came along and helped out with some of that but once also you got this and also disconnection, and also you know redundancy of things, TCP oh. like all that beautiful thing. <laughs> for sure,
2: for sure. And But once you got it, you could call another bulletin board, and in their lead area, you could upload the latest frack, or you could be the person that uploaded the latest T file about how to beige box or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was cool, man. That was awesome. Okay, And the achievement.:
0: That was RP an achievement. Of, oh yeah, achievement. for
2: sure for sure. And if you knew how to crack things, if you knew how to remove the copy protection on Commodore 64 or Apple II, mostly games, right? Mm-hmm. You could also, at that time, upload the entire cracked binary. So you could there was no, there, there, this is way before people started realizing that they could just put out patchers or serial number generators or whatever. So yeah. that's my misspent youth. Okay. So at some point, my mom discovers this and says, you got to get rid of this. You can't have this. This is, this is crazy. You're going to launch a nuclear war or something. <laughs> and she took away our modem. My bro- I have an older brother too. She took away our modem. Okay. And Francisco, one of her favorite stories to tell people is that my brother and I built our own modem in a shoebox. <laughs> Using a <laughs> haze a haze a but basically you need, internal please, card. Don't tell me everything okay? about it. A hobbled together power supply and these little blinking lights that were basically kind of like hand soldered the way a ten year old would solder. Okay. So you can just imagine the fire hazard involved. And then and then Health and Safety wasn't
0: a thing at that time. <laughs>
2: But in addition to that, we also had a neighbor and in, in the, in the, uh, at the time, it mattered what, who your people were in a four block. So your next mm-hmm. door neighbor and the people behind you that happened to have a phone line <laughs> that was very underutilized. So that we were back in business and back on the bulletin boards and especially calling Canada because Canada was, Canada was awesome to call because you could maintain a pretty fast connection there as well. So anyway, that was when I got started. Okay. That's my, my, my misman youth. Way, 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 way beyond the statute of limitations for uh, anyone who's actually uh, curious about that. But anyway, so I go through school, and I'm always kind of a computer guy. I'm always a little bit interested in computers, but really, really hit my stride when I was a, a, in college, in university, mm-hmm. because I ran the Sun Computer Lab. The, it was a pretty large university in the Midwest, and I was in charge of the Sun Computer Lab. And I'm in the Sun Computer Lab one day. And this guy comes up to me and says, hey, uh, you know HyperCard, don't you? Do you know HyperCard? And I'm like, yeah, I know HyperCard. It's like this cheesy program for the Mac where you can glue together these little three by five cards Mm -hmm. and you click these little links and they link them together. Well, you're not going to believe this, but there's a hypertext markup language. There's this thing called Mosaic and you got to come check this out. Look at this Stanford page. And so he pulls up this page that's mosaic 0.1a, okay, it's the Mm 0.1 alpha, and every single, almost every single word is a link, is a blue underlined link. And it was the first time I ever saw the web, and I was like, holy crap, this is going to just absolutely positively change the game. Because up to then, Usenet and Gopher, and even FTP was not user-friendly at all, Mm -hmm. and people were flocking to things like AOL and CompuServe, but this was now going to basically be an open internet that eventually interface. we face and uh, to be completely honest and you, maybe you need to edit this out my first question to him was is there porn available on this and he was like oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> of <laughs> so course there is it's always important
0: to that so i knew the internet was going to be very very powerful graduate hey, well, from college vhf was was uh, the, the technology was born because of a reason and the internet was born because of a reason not research <laughs> oh for sure well, <laughs> well actually most major technologies
2: at some point we were innovated by either pornography or gambling at some point, right? Everything yeah. from XVID and DivX to MP4, to, to web streaming, to e-payments, everything, right? So, but anyway, so I get out of college, start an internet service provider, right? Mm-hmm. Worked in an in, internet service provider for, for several years. Uh, we ended up spinning that off basically. And then I went to work for telcos, telco, tel, specifically inter-exchange inter carriers or IXCs, okay? Yeah. And I was always in the role of a sales engineer, solutions engineer, solutions architect, that kind of customer facing kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. but also real nerdy and geeky in the background. And this is the days of like frame relay, MPLS hadn't come on the scene yet, et cetera. And anyway, long story short, we get all the way to my current uh, job today, which was a very, very large provider of, of data transport over ethernet globally. Okay, so private, dedicated, software-defined transport. And we knew for a fact that cybersecurity was going to become, you know, just the hottest area in the world by the, by the, uh, by the 2000s, or so to speak, or the late 2000s, I guess I should say. And so we actually started investing very very heavily
0: in machine learning,
2: in AI, in a lot of these technologies that people are let's go to machine about.
0: learning. Let's stick to machine learning. That's that's one of my big thing. If you listen For sure, to absolutely. I, the I, one listen with to Jay, I uh, just I uh, just hack machine learning and well
2: i i listened to the joe uh, the joe podcast and he said it was artificial common sense okay so that was the, i like that i like that term i will speak to so so, machine
0: learning so
2: yeah so so that's what that's the company i work for now we do so i'm the technologist i'm kind of the evangelist i'm the i do some research i do some public speaking and things like that but then what happened two years ago was that the de facto underlying technology that drives all of connectivity Mm -hmm. moved from something called multi-protocol label switching to something called software-defined WAN. And now uh, SD-WAN is the dominant kind of de facto standard, but security is way more important than ever. So even more so than the migration to IPv6, SD-WAN is driving people to be very, very concerned about uh, segmentation about you know about keeping their public versus their private traffic that's out there about DLP you know because all of those that, types of things up to
0: that point uh, in order to to scramble a little bit you could just hijack a BGP table reinject routes and and stuff like that with SD one everything is programmable well yes yeah, so now hold on though because you still can do that right BGP
2: yeah. is still uh, down the, the line it, the 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 issues that we heard about so many years yeah. ago. Uh, when Loft testified before Congress, and they kind of bragged that they could take down the internet within a few minutes, they were talking about BGP4, okay? And they were specifically talking about BGP4 exploits that would still work today. Occasionally, we still see someone accidentally advertise a route that's not theirs, or, or broadcast, suddenly all traffic for Iowa is going through China for two hours, whatever that is, right? And the reason for that is because all of the underlying technologies of the public internet whether we're talking about tcpip or smtp or even bgp were built in a time where you trusted each other right yeah. i'm a university you're a lab we don't have any reason to believe that someone would malform packets or use ntp for ddos attacks or build reflections re- reflection attacks based well, so DNS. a lot of those a lot of those protocols including dns right were built around the idea that trust you didn't necessarily have to trust everybody but they certainly weren't malicious right Mm -hmm. so we SD-WAN does bring a lot of that addressing for the private transport side but we still have quite a few issues on the public side that there are technologies to address it just like IPv6 can address a lot of the things around v4 address shortages but they haven't been implemented or they haven't been fully implemented you know properly so when we think about things like DNSSEC or or um, you know uh, even DMARC on email, right? Those are technologies that actually do the job, but for whatever reason,
0: people are still... They, they forgot it. Even DNSSEC is so old, and we still <laughs> stick with DNS because it's so widespread and deployed. And IPv4, I, I ne- we, and we're never going to see IPv6 inside lands because, first of all, it's, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure. To do sure. netting in IPv6 and and do from decimal in, in Heserbeck's email. It's, it's just mind-boggling if you're not network. and we also have less and less people in networking. So going back to cybersecurity, I I keep on receiving the question of how do I start in cybersecurity, and I tend to say start with the basic networking, but don't go hardcore networking. I'm I'm a hardcore networker. I'm a CC, CCIE. so I've been hammering at that for so long, and also Cisco trainer, Cisco trainer. So I've been, you know. Uh, evangelizing about this stuff and broadcasting if you want to use
2: but in fairness though when people say hey go learn networking but don't go too hardcore well, what we're talking about is we're talking about things like the osi model right like yeah. everyone should know the difference between layer three and layer seven oh, right? every, every, everyone yeah for, for sure everyone should know how to use wireshark or at least yeah. be interested in how to use wireshark right because uh, because if you can't diagnose a PCAP file or you don't know the difference between layer seven and layer three, mm-hmm. then it's going to be very difficult for you to make statements or do diagnosis or even read incident reports yeah. without some underlying knowledge. And I'm not saying you have to go out and get a CCIE. I would actually even argue that most SOC technicians don't even need like a CCNP. The NA would be perfectly fine. But you do need to know the OSI model. You need to know the difference between a, a router and a switch, right? You need to know the difference between a switch and a hub, right? You need to know how to how- read it. An IP address. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 believe it or not, I still argue. You still need. I still think you need to know how to subnet. You need to know the difference oh, yeah. between
0: a slash twenty-four and a slash
2: sixteen. Or a even slash even in cloud,
0: cloud is even more important because it, uh, even if you do it manually, even if you do it automatically, you still need to know that there is a boundary between addresses and you shouldn't consume. Especially because with transformation, you're never going to have a block of addresses. Yes, um, so, so
2: Francesco, that brings us up. This that actually brings up the topic of your podcast, the name of your podcast because let me tell you what happened with cloud, okay, in my experience. Mm. We had four massive migrations of our global customers, right? At one point, they got out of their own data centers and they started going to co-location centers, right? Hosted co-location centers. Then they started moving from physical servers to Blades and virtualization and, and Docker and eventually Kubernetes and things like that. And then they started doing that completely and started moving their workloads to Amazon and to Google and to Office 365. And that last migration was eight times faster than the migration was to virtualization and 16 times faster than the version the movement was to Colo. So when we talk about these big leaps that are happening, they're happening faster and faster and faster. And then as if that's not enough issues for Mm -hmm. security reasons, it turns out that every single person in a company who's ever configured their home router thinks they're a CCIE. And so they feel free to go spin up an AWS instance and throw a bunch of customer data on there, some PII on there as a proof of concept because they watched this TED talk. And in this TED talk, they said, don't worry about building a secure product. We just need a minimal viable product, okay? So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna grab all my customer PII and I'm going to throw it into this S3 bucket. And okay. I'm going to start playing with AWS, uh, fully open, right? And I'm going to start playing with APIs. It's an MVP, and right?
0: MVP means no no hacker is going is to attack my stuff. <laughs> I'll <laughs> it MVP and nobody's going to touch it and I'm not
2: gonna tell anyone, okay? I'm not gonna tell my IT, I'm not gonna tell my network security people, I'm not gonna tell my application security people, even in a DevOps environment, I'm just gonna skip all that and just throw this up, okay? So that I can go to my board meeting and show it off, okay? And when I go to the board meeting, they say, wow, that's really good because they assume it's <laughs> secure. It security, right? They assume, right? So we had this confluence of these events that are all happening and they're all driving towards less and less security and bigger and bigger breaches. And, and by the way, three years ago, our biggest breach was exactly what I just described.
0: Those S3 yeah. buckets was and by it, far and the worst one. it's still line. present. I mean, I think uh, 80% of, of the breaches, I, I mean, I have one of my talk where I, I, I collected some of the data and 80% of the latest five years cloud breaches are for misconfiguration and probably around 60% is about open s3 buckets
2: capital one's a perfect example of that right 100 yeah. perfect example of that but that doesn't necessarily downplay the fact that fishing is still our number one unsolved problem so to speak because fishing is 30 years old we've been seeing people fishing since ao hell in 1990 right but they're still still, it's still effective people are still clicking effective Absolutely. Well, you know, I just, I heard Joe talk about the percentages for, for his phishing campaigns. It was funny because one of the talks that I gave at Black Hat was about the history of hacking. When they first launched AOL, you could send a thousand, uh, instant messages pretending to be AOL personnel and you would get 10% response with people's passwords or credit cards. I'm saying hypothetically, a person would get that. I don't mean you personally or me personally. E- email, email is so old. But, t- but 10%, right? Phishing still works to this day. And I know phishing still works yeah. because I still fall for it. Like I still fall for it. We, we have a company that fishes all of our employees, right? And last year I got a note from Amazon. It looked totally legit, but then again, all phishing emails look legit these days, mm-hmm. right? You can't, you can't trust anything because of what it shows up as hover. You got to look at the full headers, but I fell for it. I've fallen for it right before. So we still have that phishing issue. And it might be somewhat mitigated by some of the things that Amazon and Microsoft is now doing
0: because they're now understanding. But actually, that- actually I, have, I have a thing because 90% now of the uh, uh, dummy boxes, and, and we talked with that with, with Joe, are going to be in AWS. We have an entire block of addresses trusting AWS. So if a hacker spins some, something in AWS, and it's not even close to me. I just have the whole range of AWS <laughs> open. Because anybody's now is on AWS, and it's like I'm not going to open IP per IP in my firewall. I'm going to trust that. Oh, for so, sure. Now let me tell you how that
2: happens. I'm going to give you the real world example how that happens. Uh, Mary comes to me and says, "I need you to open the firewall to this address." And I said, "Okay. So is it that that that's is that address? Well, it jumps around. I mean, sometimes it's that address. Sometimes it's dot 11. Sometimes it's dot 21." It's not really truly a static IP. I think it might be DHCP. You know what? Go ahead and whitelist the whole Class C. Go ahead. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen, right? And then Joe comes along two weeks later, and he has one, and it's literally one octet away. So I'm like, well, just go ahead and whitelist that Slash 22. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen, right? Well, because we trust Amazon. We assume that we trust AWS, never mind the fact that the hackers and the bad guys are not only hijacking machines in AWS— they're also spinning up their own machines, Correct. right? If you talk to red teamers, a very, very common thing to do, actually, Joe even talked about it, yeah. was to set up, a, to spin up my own VPS, and right? Fire it up, add a let's encrypt certificate and I'm off to the races. I mean, teenagers can do this.
0: Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor and then we return back.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients, and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote.
0: Everybody can do this. Everybody, I mean, we are the, if you want, the older generation. I start having gray hair, and we are getting the old generation where this is complicated, while the new generation are born on the cloud. So, for me to spin up, I don't know, a VM, a Docker, on my machine, or a cloud environment, right now it's more or less equivalent. But for a kid that is coming nowadays, you look at a couple of videos and you know how to spin this instance, maybe knows how to delete the trace in CloudTrail and bounce back in a couple of IP address just, just in case. And you have 90% of the organization in the globe that have a DNS there or has a, a HTTP there. So everybody's gonna trust that, either from a DNS perspective to ex-filt- exfiltrate data, phishing campaign with a, with a DNS, with, with a web page loading there. so there you go. Yeah, wow. so you
2: can learn everything you need to know from YouTube videos, if you wanna be a red teamer or a malicious person, or you can even buy them <laughs> already pre-stolen, right? That's the other <laughs> possibility, is that that's out there, you know, today. But I will laugh because in the InfoSec world, we have this little bit of a debate about YouTube because sometimes YouTube is restrictive about, uh, about tools. Sometimes they're, sometimes they're restrictive about music. I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a love-hate relationship going on there. I hope I'm not getting your podcast in trouble with YouTube's AI for <laughs> listening to me. Or, I'm sorry, they're machine I learning. I mean it's freedom, but it's freedom, but it right? Is interesting because, because I'm not gonna give away the age of my son, but when my son was younger <laughs> than he is now, by a few years, by five years, uh, my wife decided that we were gonna deploy this little device called Circle that Mm -hmm. would monitor what our children were doing on the internet, okay? And within three weeks, my son stopped complaining, like just completely stopped complaining one day. And the reason he stopped complaining is because he figured out if he spoofed the MAC address of the Circle device, he could do whatever he wanted, okay? And so (laughs) I, being the father that I am, took this moment to sit him down and say, I need to talk to you about our poisoning. It's very important that you understand what a MAC address is. Where did you learn this? Which one of your friends taught you this? Because I I think that friend is probably going to be pretty interesting. Oh, Dad, it was on YouTube. It was on YouTube. It was was right past the Wi-Fi cracking one. As a matter of fact, if you watch the Wi-Fi cracking one, it immediately recommends you to watch this one about how to, to get around circle. Well, why were you watching the Wi-Fi cracking one? Well, because if, if our Wi-Fi goes down, I got to be able to get on the neighbors. Okay, we're going to really have to have a discussion about fair use. And of course, this is ironic because I just told a story about my own youth in the neighbors. I know, but... They're different neighbors,
0: though. <laughs> as long as you don't have an FBI or any other agency as a neighbor where you can get on the bad side of things. But that, that's why it's so important to to have labs and to have safe space and environment, as agenda does an amazing job, for example, at teaching people uh, Freaky Clown is particularly invested in that. Oh, yeah. All the work that they do with kids to go there and explain. And also, we talked with Tanya. They come in uh, um, with role models that are not male. So oh, for sure. So the new sure. generation of, of kids recognize that uh, in order to be an attacker or a thinker, I'm not going to call it hacker, because I have a personal campaign against calling a hacker a hacker, but uh, because it's misconfused with an attacker. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm rambling. Um, oh no, we're on a personal campaign to take back that term. By
2: the way, we, why? We, that's the entire uh, that's the entire mission is <laughs> to make it make it have a positive connotation instead of a negative one. Because criminals are not criminals are criminals, right? Criminal criminals are, are not
0: hackers. Not hackers. Yeah, yeah and hackers I, was actually I, a, a university thing.
2: Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. So it really, really started at MIT. Correct. Because if you in the tech model railroad club, if you wanted to run a twenty twenty three card punch card program you could hack down someone else's code so that it would still run but be more efficient, and then you could insert yours in there. It was called code bombing, right? <laughs> and the reason I know this, by the way, is because I gave a Black Hat talk about the history of hacking, and it's quite detailed about that. And I definitely remember building three of the TMRC. But uh, it, that is good to hear that there's a new generation of, of young people that are learning that. I actually spoke at the DEF CON kids group last year. It was so much fun. With <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. It was, it was, it was so amazing. Those kids were hacking voting machines, by the way, they had a voting (laughs) machine and a voting machine and a
0: drone. Okay. They were, and they were literally, um, I saw the drone, I saw the vending machine, but it was down for some reason.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, so that was, and that was, but that was a, that was an absolute blast and we're, we're sad to not see DEFCON or DEFCON safe mode this year. We'll see how that goes. But so many of these conferences have had to flip the switch very, very quickly. And in some ways it stinks because you don't have the hallway conferences, but in other ways, it's really good because, because people with access. severe social anxiety or maybe disabilities or the lack of ability to travel are now getting to experience all this awesome content at like all the talks.online and PancakesCon and Circle Con. all of these virtual sessions now are not only available for live watching, but in many cases, they're on YouTube as well. All the talks when we were hosts.
0: <laughs> yes, I've oh,
2: seen them of see time. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. So again, COVID, the COVID-19 side has a, has a, has a, is by far, you know, absolutely 100% a horrible, horrible thing that none of us would have wished for, but it has accelerated certain things. It has accelerated... Uh, the accessibility of learning, right? It has accelerated the work from anywhere movement, which is some people call it work from home, but it really means work from anywhere. And it's also exploded the cybersecurity uh, business and industry because we now have just an immensely larger uh, attack surface, right? That's out there because everybody's working from home. I mean, two years ago, if you told a corporation that they need to worry about their home workers- routers (laughs) Routers, <laughs> right? That, that next year, RT three eleven from two thousand six or whatever. That's eight hundred two eleven B because that's all they need, and it's WEP because again, that's all they need, right? Most companies would have thought you were crazy to think that that was part of your realm, but now that's actually one hundred
0: percent part of your realm. Yeah, the extension. Exactly and actually, I saw something crazy the other day where I said uh, there was an advertisement where you can plug in an extender of your Wi-Fi on your land to just serve and they give you credit. It's like, great, you just open it <laughs> yeah, sure. to everybody.
2: <laughs> for sure. Well, yeah, there's a couple ISPs in North America that do that too, that by default, you turn your home ba- bandwidth into, into an access point for their side. But thank God that one is in a different VLAN. At least I think it is. I'm pretty sure it is, right? But what we're now recommending folks do is to have multiple SSIDs, which is Mm -hmm. basically multiple VLANs is what we're really talking about. And put your kids on one. Make sure that you're monitoring what your kids are doing, first of all. That's very, very important. You just
0: need a pie hole. You just need a small Raspberry Pi with pie hole deployed to actually monitor all the traffic.
2: Yes. So let's talk about pie hole for a second because most people played the cat and mouse game about advertisement blocking, right? Using plugins or using whitelists or maybe you use a host file. Mm-hmm. But whenever they came up with the Raspberry Pi Pi hole, mm-hmm. this is literally a $70 device that will change your life, right? It will totally, it's, you, you, you take a project computer that's about the size of a pack of cigarettes. I guess I can't say that anymore about the size of a pack of playing cards right and it could be 50 bucks it could be 100 bucks i think the raspberry pi 4 is like 100 bucks now yeah and you put this linux operating system on it that and and, and the actual pile, and it becomes your own little dns super duper machine and what shocks me is it never really overheats like the cpu usage never
0: really gets that hot. Not, like if I would... not if you have kali not if you have kali that so, always so hits he, with password cracking and say, you're doing
2: password cracking on a Raspberry Pi? It's like, nah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You definitely don't want to do that. But, but I have deployed a few Raspberry Pis in like relatives and friends' houses, and they're always just absolutely 100% oh. blown away. Well, the other thing is crazy is how many ads it blocks and how many things it blocks even when you do have an ad blocker. Like it still is capturing, you know, hundreds and hundreds
0: of, uh, uh, of those things a day. But so yes, the- we recommend everyone get a pie hole. But the internet is driven by ads. So that I think it, it sparked up the case of do you need ads, do you don't need ads? Do you need the traceability of certain things? So if you take Google, for example, can be evil core or cannot be evil core. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm absolutely neutral. But they give you a free service to use your data. So as soon as the service is free, you are the data. So ads and all that stuff serve a purpose. I think we went overboard and especially in the US where data privacy is somehow questionable. In Europe, we tend to take care of our data privacy at a point? Um, well, we
2: used to make fun of you when we would go to Europe because our browser would make us click a cookie approval for every site we went to, and we, we used to snicker about that, but no, we don't do that anymore. But where I come down on that fence, by the way, is I'm not ready to say Google is evil. But I will go ahead and put Facebook in that category because they've told us again and again and again that they, every time they say, oops, we messed up or oops, we're not going to do it again, they continue to do so. So if I want to just make a statement that might get me sued, Facebook is Evil Corp. Just to get me in trouble, just not telling It's yeah, not going well, on Facebook, so you should, we should be fine. Oh, should we? Oh, you know what? We should probably take a moment to say that the opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect. It's our just employers. our opinion, <laughs> not our employers, not our employers, clients, sponsors, not anyone, specifically the last
0: one that we said. <laughs> Please do not endorse
2: by anyone, including Raspberry Pi or <laughs> even the movie War Games is not endorsing <laughs> this, okay? So, but, but you know, and again, the reason that um, this is a particularly of concern is because of the the issues around information warfare and around disinformation and around electoral interference right those are yeah. the those are the three biggest reasons why you know facebook really needs to get its act together i have an oculus quest this like vr headset that is standalone and i'm literally scared to use it because it's tied directly to Facebook because they own them. Right. Yeah. And the terms of service are just bonkers. I had to, I had to use it to go to a, a VR conference that was online that Alyssa Miller was speaking at yeah, uh, I love and, that. Uh, Leslie Carhart was speaking at and Jason street was speaking at, which was absolutely awesome. But I literally haven't taken it back out of the box Uh,
0: since that conference, because I'm scared of what Facebook is monitoring and and listening to. the common condition is another mind boggling thing where it's like a super-duper long contract and it's never simplified. And we were discussing with Tanya in the previous podcast that GDPR actually hackle a little bit or take a stab at it and say, at least this statement, you need to declare what you're going to use that data. But then we had the massive cookie campaign where they declare what you're going to use and you just... They make it so big. Sure, uh, sure. You just say accept it, accept sure. it all. That's the default. And sometimes I do it because it's like annoying, deselecting. They made it so user unfriendly that you're just gonna keep your data.
2: Yeah. So that's actually a strategy. So in the United States, when they started allowing commercials for pharmaceuticals, the ad, the first TV ads would always start off with this product may cause baldness. This cause may, this product may cause blindness. This product could cause your relatives to die. All these horrible, horrible warnings at the beginning of every commercial. So fast. Because because they realized that people would become numb to it, like people would just tune it out, like it was just suddenly noise, right, in the yeah. background. And so that, that's one of the things that you can do with terms of service or a privacy policy is just make it so long and detailed that there's no way anyone will read it, right? But the interesting thing about the GDPR is when the GDPR came about, and you know every year or every two years it was getting more and more and more strict we had two big, huge breaches within probably 19 months of each other. And when Mm -hmm. I say we, I don't mean me personally, I mean the world generally. One was British Airways, which was completely bungled on the disclosure. And then one was Equifax, okay? And British Airways actually ended up having to do things to be compliant with GDPR, but Equifax did not. And if you read the Brian Krebs article about Equifax, they had machines in Brazil that the username was admin and the password was admin okay, with people's credit PII, including their social services numbers or social security numbers, full credit history, everything. And to my knowledge, Equifax was not fined a penny for having admin, admin on production Apache boxes.
0: GDPR, it's, it's kind of uh, if because it's, it gives the, to the ICO, to the local community to actually fine and it gives important to if you don't, implement but it's not that strict so i love a lot of pci and with daniel kutberg we were saying we're getting old because we say compliance is actually good for us and policy is good oh, really yes we were on 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 a call the other day and we said compliance is actually good for us and it's like are we getting too old <laughs> yeah, so i will tell you i have
2: seen pci dss compliant networks that i'm not saying give, it's good but it's they would, they would they would give you nightmares if you knew because it is it does cover a lot but it doesn't cover everything not even close no. right
0: and it's the is the full sense of security that i am pci compliant i am compliant but also it, it gives you teeth so it, it, it's a way for organization and i've abuse compliance to actually push the cybersecurity agenda because it's a way to get money for a CISA, for example. Yeah. So
2: what I would actually really love to see is if a lot of the infrastructure as a service companies like Amazon and Office 365 and Azure would actually just decide that they were going to make security baked into their product right like like we're doing on the wide area network nowadays and stuff that you have to take security and and make it step zero right whenever you're coming up with a six-step
0: plan it can't be step six and a half so they they are all pointed to sell more and security is frictionful if you take netflix when was the last time you entered a password yeah for sure no i get the friction argument okay but let me counter that friction argument okay
2: if you go to Japan and you get on the Shinkazen, that's their bullet trains, right? Mm -hmm. They fly all over the place. The reason that those trains are so fast is not because of their engines or even because of the rails. The reason those trains are so fast is because of their brakes. Their brakes are so good that the operators feel confident pushing it to 300, 350 kilometers an hour because they know they can stop if they have to, right? And security controls should be more like the brakes that allow you to safely take risks, okay? Without always wondering, is it gonna be, am I gonna be able to stop this train, so to speak, right? And so, yes, it's friction. Of course the brakes use friction. Of course they do that, but they don't have to. And the best example I can think of in the world for this, and this is one of those rare, rare examples, is when Apple decided to put Touch ID on their phones, Mm -hmm. okay? What Apple found out was, was that most people were not using a PIN, okay? And the people that were using a PIN or basically a passcode to get in the phone were typing it in over 150 times a day, okay? So they came up with an idea that they could make security and empowerment technology where you could actually use your biometrics and not put a PIN in and then ship the devices by default with that enabled so that by default, every person would open it up and they would see... I got to give it my fingerprint. Like it didn't, it wasn't an option. Like it didn't say, do you want to or not? It just said, hey, give me your thumbprint, give me your thumbprint, give me your thumbprint. And the first ones were really not that good. So you had to do it quite a few times. But at any rate, that is an example of just the absolute you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. If you can figure out ways to make security more convenient and more empowering for people then you can reduce friction because your Netflix example is a good example one of the things that Netflix has decided is that if somebody shares their Netflix password with someone else on a different IP address to them that's no big deal right to them they 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 certainly don't want that breakage they certainly don't want that but they don't use words like piracy when they're describing that right they actually don't, they they're not as hostile towards those types of things no and the reason they want why adoption Absolutely. And they realize that most people will eventually get to the point where they will want their own account or their own types of services, you know, that's, that's there, that's out there. It's a little bit different on Netflix, you know, versus something that really needs multi-factor authentication and good strong passwords, like, you know, cryptocurrency exchanges or your yeah. bank, which I shouldn't even say your bank because our banks are horrible. Our bank, our bank multi-factor that authentication old. Is, is 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 like stuck in the '90s. It's still SMS based. They're still showing these little weird pictures. It's still possible to freeze someone's bank account if you know their username by just hitting eight different bad passwords or whatever. I mean, it's they're living way behind, and the reason they are is because of compliance.
0: <laughs> they and are so they can. Down. And, No, hold on. Absolutely. They also can, and they also not challenged. So in London, here in in the UK, we have a whole stream of uh, fintech that converted the norm. So uh, open banking, so all the all the API needs to be open, became a standard. A reuse of, I mean, multi-factor everywhere became a standard. So you had, they, they raised the bar. So the competition, because right now all the banks are almost like a cartel, and I shouldn't say because most of my clients are banks, but... <laughs> Well, their internal security is great, though. Their internal, like the inside stuff is fantastic. The physical one. The physical security is great because they have been using it for so long. And they have been probed in every possible way. But you turn into cybersecurity, it's still new for them. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And if you think about the fact that most of our
2: bank tellers are now working virtual, like you can understand yeah. why it would be so important to make sure that they don't have keyloggers on their shared, <laughs> their, their, their PC that they, they let their kid borrow one time, right? <laughs> oh, just one time so he can install this Android game that he wanted to, right? From this non non And up everywhere. <laughs> exactly, right? That's out there. So, I mean, it definitely is changing. And, and COVID-19 has absolutely changed a lot of those trends, right? It's brought a lot of good news with it. It's brought a lot of bad news, and then it's even also bringing a lot of uncertainty. You know, around you know what what is this going to look like in five years, for example. But I will tell you that the migration to cloud that we saw over the last nineteen months was probably one of the biggest fundamentals fundamental shifts in workloads and in managing workloads, and in agility, which is really, really the biggest driver. It's not necessarily cost savings, it's all about being agile, being able to respond to your competition, or the weather, et cetera. And I, I mean, a perfect example is most companies in North America, actually most companies in Western Europe too, made the decision to, to, to stay at home like within three days, right? Three days they basically stopped bringing the workers into the office. That's a really, really sudden swing when you have 5,000 employees that were sharing 200 VPN ports Thursday and come Monday, <laughs>
0: you have four thousand like nine hundred. The whole the whole organization being on VPN. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I've now the good them. the good
2: news was is people were patient, right? But suddenly we were all on Zoom all the time. Okay, every call was a Zoom call, or every call was a WebEx call, or whatever that was for that first couple of weeks, right? And then guess what happened? With well, Zoom? <laughs> WebEx still existed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so then suddenly Zoom started having all of these issues which they actually handled very very well i'm not, absolutely well i'm gonna i'm gonna take uh, dave kennedy's side on this one and say um and I'm, that's not just because i i know alex Stamos either but they actually i do think that they handled their rough waters uh better than most companies would have historically but they did have
0: quite a few things well, Al- alex, alex just joined recently so let's put a caveat to that <laughs> oh yeah that's true
2: that's true well he is the guy that you call in whenever there's a uh, Correct. Need. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's not all of him.
0: I mean, kudos to Alex and Alex and kudos to him for, for joining. This. Well, I think they have Katie
2: too. I think they got Katie Masuris as well. I think I think she's, a, she's, she's at least helping with the bug bounty side or at least uh, in charge of that portion. I don't know if she's an actual employee, but she's definitely helping them out too.
0: But on the bug bounty, they replied so well by being so friendly and so accepting everything. And they said, we are a new company you know, we are on this, and they made frictionless. So they start introducing security changes on a very fast pace without breaking everything. So yeah. by how- Oh, you're,
2: and- th- you're right, it is the friction example. You're one on, you're absolutely right because they weren't password protecting the Zoom calls. Absolutely. That's right, totally. And they had never really considered the threat model of 900 elementary schools
0: suddenly <laughs> joining Zoom. So Wardell, all over again, over Zoom. <laughs> And right yeah. now we have word, literally word dialer that are trying to snoop. Um, we had a Zoom bombing on one of the Cloud Security Lens yeah. one in literally two minutes of publishing the link. So the link oh, yeah. was no, hidden. We... I, I made a mistake to publish the link with the password. You know the one-click link because I say adoption, frictionless. I couldn't be wronger. Well, two seconds after, well, no, two minutes after, word dial people on. Boom yeah well I got I got zoom bomb
2: too I, I I volunteer for something called the mental health hackers mm-hmm. and I posted it on Sunday and boom people started showing up and Zoom bombing it like crazy. And I was so angry about it that I put up a cash bounty for whoever could bring me the person who did it. But then I realized that people were Anybody. more than willing to, people were more than willing to confess if it was gonna be get them 200 bucks over Venmo. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't, nobody was, nobody was me, too proud me, to say, Me, me, me. <laughs> yeah, and I can prove it, I can prove it. I, I got a screenshot or something, but but yeah, so that is, that's a great example. I think the Zoom example is a, is a wonderful, fantastic example. And then the other one to kind of consider on the cloud security side is one of the most important, powerful innovations that we've ever had since the invention of the open internet is APIs, right? APIs are literally the glue or the the, the sprockets that makes applications and websites talk to each other if they get a bad name because of the implementation of them, that would make a, that would be much, we would all be much, much worse off, right? And so that's also an area to really watch because if you, if you see cloud breaches, if it's not misconfiguration and it's not credential stuffing or credential theft, it's API abuse, it's, it's, it's API abuse for sure. And it's and becoming a new thing. So we were discussing- it, it, Well, it's ironically enough, it's not easy to automate checking it, right? I mean, you would think that hey, there'd be an API for, for auditing the APIs, but there's just a suite of different tools, and to my knowledge, there's not like one dominant. Because we
0: don't have a, a catalog of APIs.
2: Yeah, well that's that's also that's part of the problem as well. And I will tell you that a lot of times when people are trying to make different domains work with each other, like if you're trying to get Oracle to talk to your your IBM bare metal to talk to your AWS instance, etc a lot of those APIs are kind of hacky right there you get on the jira and you start playing with things until it
0: works and if then you, you have stop. rest and you're lucky and you don't have soap <laughs> and you have to just xml your user creation or stuff so i can tell you a nightmare about the api because they have been evolving all the time and over time so we don't have a standard i think it's one of those things where never, never nobody ever expected the api or that Kind of concept of architecture to take on so well, and interoperation and reuse of APIs or component build on new components or a cluster of API used by another cluster of APIs to build another application. Mm-hmm, for That's sure. the world yeah. we we'll live in.
2: Yeah, and I think that that trend is definitely going to continue. That it's not going to change. Occasionally, every now and then, Francisco, I'm surprised by something. Right? Uh, Kubernetes exploded. About twice as fast as I was predicting, maybe even three times as fast as I was predicting. Yeah, I was right? surprised. It, it's become a, a a much more important topic for almost every company now than, than I would have the guessed. Including cloud you know, providers. For sure, for sure, for sure. For five years ago, and
0: Google ago. is. I mean, but five years
2: ago, <laughs> you know, we would have been definitely talking about things like ESXi and Docker and 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 definitely talk having the container discussion, but not necessarily. Uh, always about Kubernetes. That was one of the ones that kind of, you know, just absolutely exploded on the scene. Zoom, didn't see that one coming either. I, I was I was ready to, ready to bet on Cisco and Blue Jeans five years ago, you know, and then Zoom just kind of came along. They and dominated. Kind of they
0: dominated the market up to the pandemic. Now, you mentioned WebEx and you mentioned Zoom. It became a build. So with Google, I Googled something. Zoom, I can start hearing Zoomed.
2: That's yes. Zoomed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then the final category of surprises was Slack versus Discord versus, you know, all of the uh, teams, Microsoft yeah. Teams, all of those walled garden collaborative sides. Because based on what I've seen in the last few weeks, you can do some amazing stuff on the free the free stuff like the free discord they ran the entire circle city Con on a completely free instance with no like i'm really kind of concerned how do they make any money how does discord make any money
0: i think they <laughs> want to sell. Have- i think i think it's adoption 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 and then they say they demonstrate this is the whole philosophy of a startup that says we're gonna make it so cheap and so frictionless that we're gonna demonstrate we have such a huge customer base that all of a sudden we're gonna switch on on one pound per month and they're gonna disappear
2: well you know the old expression does oh, me top <laughs> well the, the, the old expression is if you're not paying for the product then you are the product right and that 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 does you that know, I know you could, you could pay slack I mean slack is really expensive for like the super duper enterprise all bells and whistles kind of host yeah, or even to have archives, or even like I think even bots, even like the chat bots and stuff. But on Discord, they, people have hacked together all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, so uh, unfortunately, the problem for you and I is that when you have seven Discord servers and five Slacks and three Teams and iMessage and Signal and Wicker and you want to you know, sleep, <laughs> I mean, the notifications are just out of control, right? Yes. Like just totally out of control. And so even you one have to luck. <laughs> well, I had yeah. like
0: seven Slack, and I, I stopped using Slack at all.
2: For sure. Well, you have you got to mute them. You got to mute some of them. But yeah, for sure. And it's always so funny when someone's like, "Hey, Ray, come join our Discord," and I'm like, "Oh my oh. god, <laughs> oh no, Ray, we've got we've got uh, you know." But by the way, shout out to the Mini Hats Club. By the way, because they were literally my first ever introduction to Discord, and that's just a fantastic. They're the world's largest infosec Discord yeah. even today. But that, they were my first introduction. But the Mini Hats Club Discord is super-duper-duper duper noisy. Like, if you're in the general – I mean, they're getting thousands of messages a day in the general side. So, you have to really, really specialize yourself uh, on the Mini Hats Club. So, they're yeah, with they're, you. They're, they're where you are, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, we, we run a couple of cons together. We run a few meetups together. Stu is, is in my podcast with good friends. And – um Yeah, Stu Stu has not
2: brought me on his podcast yet, and I don't think I haven't noticed that yet, Stu. I've completely noticed that.
0: It took me a year just to get my podcast edited, and we (laughs) recorded it on Discord. I was on a train, he was on a train, somebody else was on a train, and we mentioned two or three things that Discord didn't like. It started a flame war over Twitter, so... Even well, help can't... me, uh,
2: help me not be insecure about about Stu because they asked me if I would speak at Beer Con One, which was a charity 24 hour podcast. But my slot was at 4:15 a.m. <laughs> okay, and then I still haven't been on Stu's podcast yet. I mean, come on, hey, the man I...
0: it's just as busy as me as Tanya. It's like it's it's crazy. Oh, I know and they tried to run it as a as a charity but they, they run the, the the channel and the community and they created the uh, the con right now this the, the isolation con so oh, for sure. you know, i was
2: gonna fly to london and speak i was gonna i was gonna keynote that that conference yeah. isolation con when it was gonna be in person when it was gonna be physically in person and then they converted it to, um, to, to virtual. I did speak at that one, but I ran out of time. And I still, got, I still have a bet with a bunch of people that I'll continue that, that session if uh, we come back. I do have to just real quickly interject. I just said something about BeerCon 1, which is the beer farmers. Yeah. And they're technically not the same as the Mini Hats Club. There is a difference between the Two community. Beer con but the
0: BeerCon, the beer farmer was actually born in the Discord channel. Of course,
2: of course. And they're very, very active, right? They're yes. extremely active. So it's like, it, it would be shocking to go to a Mini Hats Club event where there was no beer farmer representation. They but are, know, like there. If you go watch the Beer Farmers Manchester or Leeds uh, B-Sides Talks, which are on YouTube and have not been taken down despite their horrible offensive language and dirty jokes, it's absolutely awesome. So big shout out and plug to uh, the guys in the Beer Farmers and, and make sure you check out their B-Sides Talks. Did, yeah. did you get to see any of those in person? Yeah, no, I know. I know a few of them in person. Oh, besides London too. It was besides London was the one that was the. the but really, uh, we really actually
0: funny one. We, we we connect all on Twitter. Scott Scott's supposed to come here. I keep on hugging him. But a bit I keep on running, <laughs> running on him and against him. I actually met him uh, with Stu and a few other guys uh, at one of the events. So, the, actually, the London community is really active. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I I will tell you, I've been, to I
2: go to London about or I did, I used to go to London about once a quarter and I don't, I never had a single time, a single visit where I didn't see somebody from the Mini Hats Club either for lunch or dinner or beers, which by the way, they sometimes have beers for lunch there, but that's, that's not, that's no judgment. That's no judgment. That's no judgment. That's that's why English
0: breakfast was born. (laughs) Sure. Really greasy, really heavy and you can have a pint with it
2: oh for sure absolutely especially yeah, when when in Rome do as the Romans do so we've now devolved to the part of the podcast where we're literally just gossiping about people and not talking about cloud security is there anything else that we want to do you want to make sure we covered today during this? no I,
0: I, I think I think we run over time I, my the podcast usually is 40 minutes which is completely run over oh boy okay okay. <laughs> okay. well at some point you got to make a decision do, do I split it into two parts and stretch it out I hate no, to split into parts but... no, I,
2: I'm, I'm totally with you it was an absolute pleasure to uh to be here
0: one thing before you leave we have Mm -hmm. a tradition to say uh, a positive message about cyber security the industry whatever like five second for sure positive message
2: if you're out there and you're listening to this podcast and you are new to the industry i want to give you a message today and that is that you belong you belong in this industry and as, as many challenges as you might face uh learning and growing and getting better and better you will learn and grow and get better because you belong
0: Amazing, Ray. It was a pleasure. I need to invite you again so that we can continue part two. <laughs> I think we just which is like, so one-tenth of what we want to discuss. <laughs> for sure. For sure.
2: Oh, yeah, no, I know. We did, have some, we did have some notes, but I don't think we got
0: to any of them. So no. no I will no.
2: make sure I am subscribed. I will make sure I get this as my Monday tradition. Please, anyone listening out there that wants to subscribe to Tribe of Hackers, it's tohpodcast.com, and I will be back on the Cloud
0: Security Podcast. He shall, he shall be back. And I'd like to thank everybody. Sorry for running over time, but it was an amazing conversation, so I couldn't stop it. <laughs> (laughs) Thank you, everyone, and see you next. Stay safe.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com.